Welcome to the Weather Channel podcast. I'm Kate Parker. I'm a meteorologist for weather.com and the Weather Channel app. And today we're diving into the seasonal outlook for hurricanes. The weather company, we just released our seasonal outlook. And yes, it is above average, but how much above average? We've already seen the outlook for hurricane season, the Atlantic hurricane season, come out from Dr. Phil Klotzbach at Colorado State University. They had an above average season and the weather company outlook has come out. It is above average, maybe even a little bit higher than what we're seeing from Colorado State University. So to talk about all of this and what it means for your hurricane season today, I've got Jonathan Erdman. He's our senior digital meteorologist and a brilliant mind that we're going to dive into some of the forecasting. How do we come up with a forecast like this? What does it mean and then I'm going to talk to Jan Childs. Now, she's a reporter based in Florida. I also used to forecast hurricanes in Florida. So we're going to talk about a little bit of that uh, hurricane evacuation zone living and what that is like whenever these forecasts come out. So, John, Jan, thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Kate. It's great to be here talking to you guys again today. Kate, it's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah. So, John... Um, how can you run down the numbers for us on what this our our forecast looks like for the weather company for hurricane season? Sure. So our uh, group up in uh, Andover, Massachusetts, just put out their latest outlook, and in the, these hurricane season outlooks, are basically predict numbers of total named storms. In other words, at least tropical storm or subtropical storm strength, the number of hurricanes, and the number of hurricanes we call major hurricanes that are at least category three or stronger. And um, the weather company put out their outlook saying 18 named storms total, nine of which would be hurricanes and four of which would be category three or higher. And to compare that to the long-term average, that's about five more named storms than average. That's about two more hurricanes than average and about one more major hurricane than average. So it, it is a forecast that is busier, if you will, than, than a normal season. And when it comes to meteorologists and us forecasting, this really does play a, a decent role in looking forward at what our year may look like. But I do want to at least note that I I cannot emphasize this enough. And John, I know you feel the same way, that this is just really the, the numbers. It has nothing, says nothing about if we will get a landfalling hurricane, where we might, what it'll look like. We might get zero landfalling hurricanes. We might get 18 landfalling hurricanes. So it's it's really just to clarify, this is, you know, in the meteorological world, looks like a, an active Atlantic season, but it says nothing about what your preparation should be for hurricane season. Yeah, you nailed it, Kate. I mean, the, the important thing is where they go, not how many that there are. Now, of course, the probability, the more you have, the probability is the more chance you have of one hitting land or hitting your area of the coast. Uh, that's just strict probabilities. If you had 50 in a year, you know, your, your probabilities would be pretty oh, high. Please, please no. no, not that. Thank you. <laughs> Come on. No. Yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> jinx us. Come on guys. <laughs> I would like to sleep at some point. So, but, but you're right. It depends on where they go. And uh, you know, some of the, some of the classic examples of that, uh, in fact, 10 years ago, uh, the 2010 hurricane season, nobody really remembers that. And the reason is it had 19 named storms, uh, which which is an active year, but the problem is, uh, you know, very few of them at all hit land. They all curled out to sea, 
one of which was a Hurricane Earl, which flirted with the East Coast and scared us for a bit for a while, but then uh, just kind of brushed the Outer Banks and headed out to sea. So nobody remembers 2010 that much. But uh, there are other years where there are meteorologists. Yeah, they do. sure do. We were quite busy. You know, we're busy every year. <laughs> we were busy. <laughs> but uh, yeah. then you have some years like, uh, you know, uh, the best example I can think of is 1983. Hurricane Alicia hammered Houston, one of the worst hurricanes to hit Houston metro area. But there were very few named storms. I think there were only four named storms that year. So, again, it only matters yeah. where they go and it only takes one to make an active season. Yeah. Actually, Andrew's season, um, Hurricane Andrew, that was a very slow season. And it was the A name. It was the first one out of the gate. So uh, tough to say there. But this comparing to the Colorado State University forecast is for the most part on par. Our forecast calls for a couple more name storms and one additional hurricane. What John goes into this forecast. Can you break down some of the features that we're looking at on, you know, really a global scale whenever it comes to creating these seasonal outlooks? Sure. So, yeah, these seasonal outlooks look at at many different what are called teleconnections, different patterns in the atmosphere that are setting up already uh, here in the spring that could uh, be a precursor to what happens during the heart of the hurricane season. And two of those factors grabbed uh, the seasonal forecaster's attention the most. One is that we may be trending toward a La Nina. And what that is, you've heard of El Nino, of course, that's that periodic warming of the equatorial Pacific waters. Uh, we are not in El Nino right now. We're kind of in a neutral stage. But uh, some of the forecasts suggest we could be trending toward a La Nina stage And in La Nina hurricane season, what happens is there is less wind shear, in other words, shearing winds at different directions uh, occurring over the heart of the Atlantic basin. And wind shear is a hostile threat to hurricanes. It rips them apart. It rips tropical waves apart that try to become hurricanes. So in La Nina years, you tend to have less wind shear, which tends to uh, you know, lend itself to a more favorable atmosphere. Yeah, you want you want kind of like I try and always explain it as like you want the calmest situation possible because if this is why you know the hurricane hunters don't check out um, storms when they're over land is because any difference in air direction in a major hurricane, um, which if a major hurricane goes over land, you start getting that vertical air movement, which that is what makes it dangerous to fly through. So you don't want the shearing winds cuts off the top of these things. But there, you said there's another kind of main player that we're looking at here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the other main player is uh, looking at uh, water temperatures over the Atlantic Basin. Uh, so right now, uh, you know, as the uh, as our seasonal forecasters noted, uh, there's some of the warmest uh April sea surface temperatures over parts of the Atlantic on record, uh, particularly in two areas just off of West Africa, uh, where the tropical waves come off of the uh, come off of Africa and start to move over the Atlantic Basin, and then also in particular over the Gulf of Mexico, and they've helped fuel some of the some of the hottest temperatures on record for this time of year in parts of South Florida. If you're if you're listening to us from Miami, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, Jan, how's that Space Coast heat going for you in Florida? Yeah, it's a little hot. I got to say today we're getting a little break from it. I think it's only supposed to be in the maybe uh, low to mid 70s today. And it it rained, which was 
uh, much welcome. Um, but I know this is just a very, very brief reprieve before we get back to that record heat. So, John, I'm so glad that you brought up the Gulf of Mexico because, um, you know, we are it is it is not just a little bit hot in the Gulf of Mexico. Actually, if you look at just the satellite information, um, as far as we're, when we're looking at temperatures, you know, we can get temperatures from um, buoys or ships that are might be going through these waters. But if you're just looking at temperatures from the satellite record, we're talking about the warmest the Gulf of Mexico has ever been as far as anomalies go. So above average. So um, how much above average it is right now, it's not necessarily the warmest temperature it's ever been, but it's the amount above average. That is the warmest anomaly that we have seen in the satellite era for the Gulf of Mexico. It is hot. And I think, you know, our severe storms in the South have really been tapping into that too. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you, you look at the uh, sea surface temperature anomaly maps and it really just pops. Uh, you, you can see the Gulf of Mexico. It's just this this, this massive warm blob. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, that air that flows over that warm water, it, it, it warms up and that adds a little juice to Unfortunately, the severe thunderstorms that we've seen you know, with the Easter Sunday outbreak uh, and, uh, you know, potentially could could fuel other uh, severe weather episodes as we go through the spring. And then, uh, you know, again, it, it, when when you have low temperatures only uh, dropping into the low 80s in parts of Florida, I mean, that, <laughs> you know, it's only mid-April. That basically feels like the, the heart of summer. And, uh, you know, that's just the, those are the type of things that we have For to sure. concern ourselves with hurricane season, because you can also get these homegrown storms. They don't have to just form in the East Atlantic and move in. Yes. And uh, one of which that, you know, that came to mind last year was it was a pretty weak one. It was Tropical Storm Imelda that dumped 30 to 40 inches of rain over East Texas and Southwest Louisiana. And that was quote, just a tropical storm. Mm-hmm. We always say that, you know, don't say just a, you know, tropical storms are dangerous and produce massive flooding. So, you know, if that th- that water is just sitting there and stewing, and that could fuel some of these homegrown tropical storms and even hurricanes. That's such a good point, John, because whenever we look at kind of our typical hurricane formation points, where do we see these storms emerge and grow? Um, it changes throughout the season. I mean, the season is six months long. So at the early part of the season, whenever we're, you know, the season technically starts June 1, but it's all statistics. So you could have a hurricane now. Um I'm not saying there, if there's not one in the forecast, folks. Let's not freak out. But <laughs> you could. I'm telling you guys, stop jinxing us. <laughs> and um, whenever you look at early season and late season, we do have a lot more of those homegrown storms that are forming a lot closer to land. And the scary part about that is that your amount of time to make decisions as like an emergency manager on evacuations or sheltering or whatever it may be is so small by comparison. Um, and that actually kind of this this brings me to Florida and Jan because I mm-hmm. I am dying to know what it is like down there. When I was working in South Florida and forecasting hurricanes and everything, it is the buzz of the season whenever these hurricane outlooks come out. And is it going to be above average, below average? Everyone's talking about it. 
But uh, right. everyone's supposed to be social distancing. So are you hearing anything about it? So, you know, I haven't heard a lot about it. I haven't seen a lot of coverage about it in um, local media. You know, there's there's been, yes, a, a, a little bit, a couple of articles. But most of those articles deal with, you know, how this is happening and and what's going on in relation to to coronavirus and, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely not as much buzz as usual. Um, I would say that, you know, there's been a lot of events related to hurricane planning that have been canceled, like the governor's annual hurricane conference was canceled. Um, some of the emergency management directors that I've talked to recently for some articles that I've been doing have said, you know, that they've, they've kind of, not that they've put hurricane planning on the back burner, but they just kind of recently kind of were like, oh gosh, yeah, we got hurricane season coming too, people. Let's, we got to, we got to start paying attention to that now too. You know, it's, so it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a, of definitely a different environment that they're in for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was living in Florida, it felt like everyone was a hobbyist hurricane forecaster. You know, like I, I, especially whenever it comes to um, boaters or surfers, man, they are always Mm -hmm. on the weather. Um, So it's interesting that you're not seeing a lot as much interaction um, with these early outlooks. What about grocery stores? I'm just so curious because we're all kind of living in this weird confinement where we are living in these two-week cycles of, you know, loading up at the grocery store and going through emergency supplies in a lot of cases. Typically, this time of year, we'd be telling people to get their emergency, you know, their hurricane preparedness kits ready. Can they? What what do the stores look like down there? Yeah. So so it's interesting because uh, uh, maybe two months ago or so, maybe even a little longer than that, when we kind of first started seeing the, you know, coronavirus um, cases in the U.S. and things like that, um, my husband and I decided, well, let's go ahead and get our hurricane kit together now, right? A, so we would have it, and B, because there's supplies in there that we could use, non-perishable foods, toilet paper, you know, things like that. Um, so yeah, so the stores, um, I honestly have not been to the store in about three weeks. Um, but I have heard reports from other, um, friends who have been out and, and from different people. And yeah, so, so pickings are still slim at the store. Now, some of the things that you would need for hurricane season, you're going to be able to get batteries, you know, things like that. But when you're talking, uh, non-perishable foods, those, those items might be a little trickier to come by and, you know, the, the um, the highly valued toilet paper still isn't in in high in you know um, is still in high demand, but I did have one of the emergency management directors also tell me you know he said I don't know what everybody's doing with all this food and toilet paper they're buying so really they should be already well stocked you know so right. um, so I you know the lines are long at the stores which is normal before hurricane I mean the shelves kind of look like they do before hurricane the last time I was in the store you know it's like a constant hurricane season prep exactly. Like a hurricane looming. Yep. You know, my yep. husband said the same thing. He's from New Orleans. And he was like, it just reminds me of evacuations. Is that the, that's what the stores remind me of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of evacuations, I have heard – anyone that I've ever spoken to or interviewed that has actually gone through the heart of a hurricane mm-hmm. – uh, 
or even a strong tropical storm, they always tell me they're like, oh, no, I'm evacuating every time, no matter what. I will never stay again. That was a horrible decision. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's kind of on the fringe always is just really angry that they can't get back to their homes until it's cleared by emergency you know, personnel. Mm-hmm. And they say, I'm never leaving my house again. You guys always get it wrong. And, you know, they're always so mad at the forecasters. And and I understand it because mm-hmm. if you, especially if you have health concerns and different things, I worry about people's mindset in places that face a lot of storms every season during this coronavirus outbreak, this pandemic would people be willing to evacuate? Well, you know, this is an issue that this is one of the issues that I've been talking to some of these emergency management directors about. We've done a few stories on this, um, both myself and and my um, co-worker, Ron Brackett, who's uh, one of our other reporters. Um, we've both, both done some articles about this. And so what they're saying is that the, one thing that that a lot of these the counties are sort of um, struggling with right now is messaging and how they are going to convince people because you've always got the people that won't go no matter what you've always got those people out there now it drives me crazy Jan now my family we live in I, I agree with you we live in a primary evacuation zone we live on a barrier island on the east coast and when they tell us to go we go you know I mean and we're ready to go even before that. You know, we leave. We don't mess around. Um, now this year, we're you know, I think I had mentioned before when we were talking, we're we're trying to figure out what our own plan is going to be. But we will go. We just haven't decided where we're going to go yet or what that's going to look like. Um, so that's what a lot of the officials are worried about: is that even more people will stay, and and those who go may not have anywhere to go. I mean, in a lot of places, hotels aren't open that right. people would normally go to. Um, shelters, you know. It's going to be difficult, just like we saw with the severe weather outbreak last week, difficult maybe to maintain the social distancing. Um, a lot of the counties are looking for more places that they can use as shelters so that they can have people farther apart in the shelters and um, also in case more people come. But but I think overall, the, the real concern is that people are more people than normal are going to stay home and and you know we hope that doesn't happen but that is a that is a real concern right now it is and i also have uh heard that the some most shelters are now not lo- no longer accepting pets you know it was already kind of few and far between that did and that's also a huge deterrent for people because now we're getting this information that cats could carry this disease and so, I, I mean, there's so many things to think about whenever it comes to this. Will the dis- different states accept evacuees from a different state that has a bigger outbreak? Exactly. You know, is exactly. hotels, will they be open? Or can you go and to people that maybe would go and stay with loved ones, are you then putting your loved ones at risk? Are you bringing right? something with you? Or do they have something that they're going to give to you? It is – I do not envy <laughs> the decision-making process whenever it comes to these – you know, that's exactly right. Season. You know, my husband suggested, well, if we have to evacuate this year, maybe we'll go, you know, to a, uh, a friend's house that we would normally go to, you know, in a hurricane, but we'll we'll camp out in their backyard or something. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, those are the kinds of things that you have to think about really um, is, is you know, what are you going to do and where are you going to go? And um, yeah, I think, and, and it's kind of like what you were saying about 
um, you know, there's a lot of unknowns, but also there's a lot of things evolving. Who knows what's going to be happening with coronavirus next month, let alone when we hit the peak, the, the typical peak of hurricane season, right? Which is usually what, September, October? Yeah, September. Well, for Florida, October, actually. Florida has had more hurricane hurricanes hit in October uh, than any other month. Yeah. So who knows what's going to be going on by then with all of you know, the coronavirus situation. Nobody has any idea. It's just, it's just going to constantly be evolving in those everybody's plans, not just the officials, but individuals are all going to have to go with that, you know, and we, we've been through evacuations here in the past. You know, we evacuated last year for Dorian and two years ago for Irma. So I think that's all still fresh in everybody's minds, you know? Yeah. Well, Kate and Jen, I, I find it interesting because, uh, you know, one of the one of the rules of thumb is, you know, you run from the water, but you hide from the wind. In other words, uh, if you're if you're in an evacuation mm-hmm. zone, you're near the coast and you're told to, you should. But if you're inland, like uh, I have family, for instance, I have family member members in Orlando, which moved down there right in time for Charlie. <laughs> Great timing. <laughs> took, the, took the swipe from Charlie. <laughs> Uh, but they stayed put in Irma because they said, well, we're inland. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll take the chance that maybe we lose power for a little while, but we don't want to get stuck out on the roads. Right. So they right. stayed put during Irma and they were smart in doing so. So maybe we can keep some of those inland people, you know, stay put as opposed to the evacuating the areas that are most prone to say storm surge. I agree with you, John. Yeah. That reminds me of of Rita, actually, if you remember, um, Rita came, I know it came after Katrina and, um, everybody was so terrified in Houston and surrounding areas that people that were not told to evacuate got on the road, but the roads can only hold so much. And so you have people with, you know, medical conditions that are stuck on the side of the road in, you know, Texas heat, um, and a lot of people died just from the evacuations, not from the storm. Mm-hmm. We're talking about dozens and dozens of deaths from the evacuations. So that is such a good point, John. <laughs> I, I mean, we can't stress that enough that you evacuate when you're told to evacuate because it is based on science that we have those evacuations. Right. Zones. And, you know, I even I know people that... Um that live here who maybe have moved to Florida in recent years, and they don't even realize that their home is built to, you know, the newer hurricane codes. And so they think, yeah, that makes yeah. And so they think, oh, I have to, I have to board up my windows and I have to leave because, you know, with these high winds, my windows are going to get blown out. And, and a lot of people, like I said, they don't even realize that their home is, is built to those standards. So yeah, if you're, if you're not in an evacuation zone and you you're not in you know some sort of vulnerable structure or something like that, I I I really hope that they do they do do better about putting out the messaging on that because in Irma that was a a huge huge issue just everyone literally I, I think everybody in Florida left well, the Irma state. Was- <laughs> I mean it was a huge evacuation Irma- zone to begin with. Um, well, but Irma was just kind of a pain in the yeah. rear. <laughs> To forecast, you know, and and the clearance times for Southwest Florida, meaning the amount of time that it takes people to get out of that area safely in an evacuation, they're high. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whenever you're dealing with a storm that, John, I don't know if you remember forecasting that one, but Irma was just a doozy of a forecast. We've had a couple of those, you know, and Irma just basically crawled right up the Florida Peninsula and flirted with, uh, is it going to landfall in Miami? Is it going to landfall in the Keys? Is it going to landfall up toward Tampa? And, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. 
And the whole forecast changes oh. every time because it, you know, are you going to get, you know, the storm surge or are you not going to get the storm surge? Because that's what evacuations are based on. Yeah. And threading the needle that is Florida. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, we had to keep changing our evacuation plan because the storm, we were like, okay, we're going to go to my mother-in-law's house. Oop, nope. Now we can't go there. We're going to go to another friend's house. Oh, nope. We can't go there. We ended up in like our third, at our third place uh, from where we had originally planned to go. Ugh. Well, John and Jan, are you guys ready for an above average season along with this coronavirus global pandemic? Do we have a choice? It's coming It's coming fast, you know, less than six weeks away. And you know, the interesting thing about it, I was just looking at this, we've had five straight hurricane seasons start before June 1st. Uh, we've had at least one oh, name wow. storm before June 1st, five years in a row. So that doesn't mean it'll hit anything, but mm-hmm. it just means we have to get ready. We got Debbie Downer John letting us know that we're going to get started <laughs> early this year. <laughs> Thanks, dude. And on that note. Yeah. No, we seriously hope that these, you know, in a best case scenario, that this above average forecast coming from the weather company, that these are all storms like 2010 that we can watch with scientific interest as they hang out in the middle of the Atlantic and they don't hurt anyone. That is always, always, always what we hope for and pray for whenever we're watching these storms form and whenever we see forecasts for an above average season. So in all seriousness, that is what we will keep our fingers crossed for, but good to be prepared for the worst. Yeah. In general, just be prepared Mm -hmm. for every hurricane season, no matter what the forecast is. Uh, All it takes is that one storm. And if you're prepared ahead of time, you can be prepared and not scared. Yes. Excellent, excellent advice, John. All right. Thank you guys so much for hanging out on the Weather Channel podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you're listening and hanging out with us. Um, Subscribe and rate in your app store or wherever you're getting this podcast. (laughs) 